Well, good morning, VRBC, once again. What a wonderful uh, day this has been already. And uh, we want to welcome, once again, you who are worshiping with us online, uh, as well as um, you who are here in person. We're just so glad to be together. We are continuing the series on two great things that grow, go great together, and that is prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer, and our families. And uh, we're focused on uh, the kind of week two in the series. Last week we talked about uh, the a family that worships God and this sort of second floor where God lives and God owns the whole, the whole house. And uh, uh, this week we're going to talk about serving. And uh, we're going to see how the Lord's Prayer really does build spiritual infrastructure uh, in our homes and in our lives. And so, by the way, just as a reminder, when we talk about family, uh, we, we are talking about the people in your life. And so that could be mom, dad, and 2.2 kids, or family could refer to kind of your, your parents and your siblings or people that are so close to you, they feel like family. And uh, so uh, as we talk about a family that serves today, we're going to look at just one verse. Can you believe it? Pastor Larry's just preaching on one verse. Uh, but uh, man, is it a verse. And so Matthew 6, verse 10 uh, says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to just kind of lay out a roadmap so you'll know where we're going uh, and, and you'll know when we're about to be done. Uh, and that is I want to do three things today, almost always three, if you notice that. Uh, the, 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 the first thing that I want to do is I want to mine, not mime, but mine, M-I-N-E, like think coal miner, okay? Uh, I want to mine deep on some biblical concepts, and then I want to meddle, that's right, meddle, uh, and then I want to motivate. In other words, I want to take a, a miner's pickaxe, and I want to dig down deep on two very important theological concepts. And then after I do that, I want to meddle a little bit, uh, because I bet if we're honest, there's a part of us that resists praying, uh, your kingdom come, your will as opposed to my will being done. So I'm going to meddle a little bit. And then by the time you're just, just good and mad at me, uh, I'm going to try to motivate you at, at the end uh, and, and end on a high note. And, uh, uh, and by the way, seniors, uh, don't think I've forgotten about you because right at the end, uh, I, I definitely have a word to speak to you. All right. So everybody, let's put on our miner's hat. Little, What is it? The little flashlight up here. Uh, we're going to do some mining. I want to go deep with you with two very important spiritual, biblical concepts in this prayer. And that is kingdom and will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. First of all, kingdom. What, what do you think about when you hear that term Kingdom. Do you think about a medieval palace, an elevated throne with a scepter? Do you think of a court jester? Do you think of the royal food taster? Uh, if so, I mean, you're not like way, way off, but you're not close either, at least not in the way the Bible speaks of kingdom. When the, when the Bible uses the term kingdom, it's, it's, it's a shorthand for the kingdom of God. And as some scholars have said, the kingdom of God has different facets to it. In one way, you could think of the kingdom of God as heaven. In fact, Matthew often calls it the kingdom of heaven. So if you think of God right now reigning in heaven, angels worshiping 24-7, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, well, that is a very uh, vivid picture of what the kingdom of God is all about. But that's not all that is uh, involved in the kingdom of God. The Bible also teaches us that the kingdom of God is a movement of God in human history. 
It is God working in and through believers and churches and sermons, believe it or not, and and billions of small acts of kindness and faithfulness to witness to the presence of Christ in the world and the difference that Christ makes. Think of of it as a, a million candles lighting up the darkness. And yet there's even more to the kingdom of God than, than what is happening in heaven right now and, and what is uh, kind of moving through history right now. And that is, you could also think of the kingdom of God as what's happening in your, in your heart uh, and, and in your home where God is making his agenda known. And so for today's purposes, when I say kingdom of God, uh, we're going to think of God acting as king or Jesus acting, acting as king, furthering the Jesus agenda in our world and in our homes, and in our hearts. Let me say it again. Kingdom for us today is going to mean God acting as king and furthering the Jesus agenda in our world, and in our homes, and in our hearts, right? This, this kingdom is, is invisible, yes, uh, but so is hope, and so is love, and so are a lot of things that are, are so important to us. Okay, so that's kingdom uh, let's get our miners' pickaxes again, and we're going to do a little digging, this time on the concept of will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Oftentimes when we use that word will, it's a noun in a contemporary setting. We're talking about a document that people draw up with a, with a lawyer. And that document's a very important document because that document determines after they die uh, what will happen to their resources. Uh, there may be important decisions about the custodial care of a, of a child. And so when someone writes a will, those words are, are powerful words, aren't they? Those words turn into actions. Now, in some ways, there's some strong uh, similarities between a will that you might write and, uh, and God's will because God's words uh, so much more than human words, uh, are, are so powerful. God's will determines what, what is going to happen, right? When God says, let there be light, uh, the lights turn on. When God says, thou shalt not kill, he's writing moral code uh, into, the, into the life of every human being on earth. So think of God's will as God's plans for good in our world. Now, generally, when we speak of God's will, we speak about it in, in two different ways. First of all, we speak about what God will do in our lives, and then we speak about what God wants to do in our lives, because we know there have been times in our lives when we've done things that are opposite to the will of God. So the will of God is what God will do all on his own without any interference from us, and then what God desires to do in you and me. Kingdom and will. Okay, you've done well so far. You, you kind of grasped these concepts. But yet, even to talk about there's a king and there's a kingdom and the king has a will that he is executing, even to talk about some, some, some kind of other boss, some other king, somebody else who is in charge of my life, right? This is my life we're talking about. Even to talk about a king and me, there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem. And that's where I want to do some meddling. You've heard this old joke, right? When I talk about your neighbor's sins, I'm preaching. But when I talk about your sins, I've gone to meddling, right? You've heard that old joke before. Well, uh, well, I, I, I feel like I need to meddle a little bit. And if it makes you feel any better, I'm meddling with me just as much as I'm meddling with you. But to meddle with you, I, I, I think we need to get real about our Messiah complexes. You see, sometimes the fact that there is a Messiah and his name is Jesus, we, we struggle with that because we like to think of ourselves as the, as the Messiah, as the king. Think about uh, family for a second. How many of you 
just want somebody else to be determining what you do. I mean, is that a natural thing for you to like, yeah, I want somebody else to, to make all the decisions for me. How many of you like someone else acting as king or boss in, in your life? How many of you like someone else imposing their will on your life? I mean, most of us, if we're honest, would say we don't like that very much. I don't know about you, but when I go to, when I go to Burger King, I want to wear the paper crown, okay? I want to be the king at, at Burger King. I don't want you know, somebody else to be the king. I don't want to have to serve the king. I want to be the king. In fact, what's, what's one of the most repeated lines that one frustrated sibling says to another bossy sibling? What do they say? You're not the boss of me. That sounds like some of you have said that before. You're not the boss of me. And sometimes we say it in more sophisticated terms in marriage too, right? So think about a, a family. Well, well, we'll just make this kind of conventional. Think about uh, a family of four, mom, dad, buddy, and Missy. How about that? Mom, dad, buddy, and Missy. And it's a Saturday, okay? And on this particular Saturday, the will of dad for his son, Buddy, is for Buddy to mow the lawn. But, but Buddy doesn't want to. And the will of mom for her daughter, Missy, is for Missy to clean her room. But Missy doesn't want to. The will of Buddy for his sister Missy is for her to turn down the volume on her blaring music, but Missy doesn't want to. The will of Missy for her brother Buddy is for him to pick up his gross workout clothes that he left in the bathroom, but Buddy doesn't want to. The will of Dad is to watch golf, but the will of Mom for Dad is to finally paint that room he's been saying he was going to paint since before iPhones were invented, but Dad doesn't want to. Does any of this sound slightly familiar? Can I, can I meddle just a little bit? Now, now, to be sure, there is a commandment that says we are to honor our fathers and our mothers. I think the Bible's pretty clear that Buddy needs to get out there and mow the lawn uh, and that Missy needs to clean her room. But, but, but still, don't you think the problem, the problem is this? We all want to be the kings and queens of our own lives, Right? It's the Messiah complex. We, we like giving orders a lot more than we like taking orders. We like being served a lot more than we like serving. We like imposing our will, not submitting to the will of others. And so often there's not a lot of serving that goes on, at least not willingly. So I want you to think about this for a moment. So much of the relational chaos that we negotiate, maybe that we are negotiating right now with the people that, we, uh, that mean the most to us, is that we have all these kings and all these queens setting up rival kingdoms in the same square footage, and life is, is constant verbal warfare and, and, and constant anarchy. If I can just meddle a little more, I think the, the problem is this. We would rather be the petty messiah of our own kingdom than to be noble servants of the most noble king, King Jesus. That's before we even bring God into the picture, right? And then someone coerces you to go to church because their cousin is graduating from high school or some reason like that. And then, and then this preacher stands up and he starts talking about yet another boss. Like, like we didn't have enough bosses in the world. And now here's another boss. And this boss, God, is trying to impose his will on us and wants us to willingly go along with it and wants to teach us to pray your kingdom, not my kingdom, your kingdom come, your will, not my will be done. And sometimes even if we pray it, 
we do it with a kind of ho-hum sense of resignation. Like, all right, you know, your kingdom come, whatever. Your will, okay, okay, okay. When my kids were little, at our house, we used the word cooperate a lot. Uh, I don't know, maybe it was a 90s parenting thing uh, to do. But if a kid was not obeying, we would say, you are not cooperating. Sometimes we would say it like a little, like, you are not cooperating. We would say it with a little kind of like lift like that, you know. And, uh, and, and whenever we would say that, uh, it, was, it was so hard. It was like one of the worst things the kids could hear from us is you're not cooperating. And I still remember like after some kind of little parental dust up with a kid, uh, I can still like hear the tone of voice in my kids when they, when they would say, okay, I'll cooperate. And it was just the most defeated sound in the whole world, you know. It was just so tearful, so defeated. And I wonder, I mean, if we were honest, I wonder how many of us when we get to, to verse 10 in the Lord's Prayer, how many of us kind of have that defeated feeling? Like, okay, God. I'll cooperate, you're the boss, you make the rules. I may not like them, but I gotta, I gotta grudgingly keep them. Right? Hmm. Okay, so let's look, a little recap. We started out as coal miners. What's this kingdom, kingdom of God thing all about? What is this will of God all about? And then I rudely start to meddle a little bit, kind of in your heart, how do you feel about another king imposing a different will from yours? But I don't want to leave you with the meddling. I want to, I, I want to, I want to leave you uh, with something to get excited about. I want to leave you with, with motivation. And so I want you to picture uh, just for the next few minutes that I'm a motivational speaker. And this is a TED Talk, a really bad one, but, but a TED Talk, okay? And I don't have a clicker or anything like that. But I think what the Bible has to say is so much more interesting uh, than any, any TED Talk. And so I want to I conclude by motivating you. I want to motivate you by talking about a king on the move. A king on the move. When, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he was not teaching them this defeated attitude of resignation. He was not teaching them a kind of, okay, I'll cooperate, Jesus. No. He was readying his followers to watch him and participate with him as he is on the move. I want you to think about it. If you've ever read like the beginning of Mark's gospel, it's just the first half, first third, I encourage you to do it sometime. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus just kind of bursts onto the scene. And John the Baptist baptizes him, which is his specialty. And then Jesus faces off against intense temptation against his adversary, Satan, in the desert. And Jesus wins that spiritual battle. And he walks into Galilee, which is sort of grand, ground zero of his ministry. And when Jesus gets into Galilee, the first thing he says, his first sermon is very important. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's almost like Jesus is saying, finally. Finally, things are ready. Finally, the time has come. I am your king, and since I'm here, the kingdom is here. So I want you to join up with me, repent, turn your back on your old way of living, change your mind, turn your mind and your life toward, it, toward me, let me be your king, and I want you to experience the good news of life in God's kingdom. It makes me think about one of my favorite moments uh, in one of my favorite kid movies, uh, The Lion King. How many of you have seen Lion King before? All right. All right. How many of you have seen the play? I'm just kind of curious. Ah, quite a few hands. Excellent. 
So you know little Simba, at, toward the end of the movie, he's all grown, grown up, King Mufasa's son. And he's come back to the land of his uh, evil uncle Scar's uh, evil leadership. Uh, and Scar has basically kind of destroyed the land. The land is in ruins. And Simba, who's no longer little, uh, he returns. And, uh, and when he returns, he sees Rafiki, who's a, this wise like baboon, I think, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, Rafiki kind of bows to Simba and then they embrace. And then Rafiki in this rich Jamaican accent. Anybody remember what he says? He says, it is time. That's what he says. It is time. And Simba climbs up this kind of narrow red, uh, uh, wedge of a cliff and he looks out over the kingdom. And you know what he does? He roars and then kind of cue the music because when, when Simba roars, it's kind of like him saying, guess what? It is time for a new king. It is time to establish a new kingdom. Uh, it is time for me to rule over this land uh, that my father, the king, has ruled over. And that still gives me chills when I think about it. That, to me, is Mark 1.15. It is King Jesus, the Lion of Judah, coming into Galilee and saying, it is time. The time has come. Only King Jesus is saying the time has come to execute the will of God in our land. The time has come to bring God's presence to the lonely. The time has come to bring God's peace to the nations. The time has come to bring God's healing to the broken. The time has come to bring God's power to the weak. The time has come to dismantle the evil works of the devil. The time has come for Jesus to establish his kingdom. When Jesus says the time has come, it's almost like he, he measures time differently from us. I mean, we might measure time by saying it's 1018 on a Sunday morning, but Jesus measures time by saying it's time for the future life of God's kingdom in heaven to start breaking into our world right now on earth as it is in heaven. Eugene Peterson says, when we pray your kingdom come, what we're doing is we are internalizing and we are participating in what we have seen Jesus say and what we've seen Jesus do. And we are praying to experience Jesus' healing words, Jesus' healing actions in our midst. And we are praying to join our king as his servants side by side in our world. That's what, that's what Jesus means when he teaches us to pray for God's will. It's not something that's supposed to discourage us. It's not something that's supposed to, to, to make us feel all defeated. Okay, okay, I'll cooperate. It's something to excite us. The great Methodist missionary, E. Stanley Jones, said that the, the, the will of God is not an imposition, but an exposition. It's not an imposition kind of forced on us. It's an exposition. It exposes what our souls are crying out for. We're crying out for the worship of the one God. We're crying out to remove the idols that are polluting our worship of God. We're crying out for, for that name, that holy name. We're crying out for Sabbath. We're crying out for honoring others and serving others and living satisfied with what God has given us and speaking the truth and honoring our commitments. It's not an, it's not an imposition. The will of God exposes what we were made for, what we were born to do. This is what Paul calls in Romans 12, the good, pleasing, perfect 
will of God. How cool is that? God is creating possibilities for us to experience new light and new life in our world. I feel like when we pray this prayer, it's like Jesus is letting us play with his chemistry set. He's letting us see heaven come down to earth. He's letting us experience his invisible power invade planet earth. And we get to see things happen that we would never see if we didn't pray this prayer. And we get to see things happen in our homes. We get to see serving one another unleashed in our homes and and with the people in our life in a way that we would never see before. And so before we're done, I want to talk about two particular blessings of prayerfully living this prayer. Two blessings. What happens when we begin to pray this prayer as individuals, when we begin to pray this prayer as roommates, when we begin to pray this prayer as siblings, as, as families? What happens when we begin to pray, your kingdom come? Maybe, maybe pray in concentric circles. We, we start with our own heart, and then maybe our home, and then maybe our neighborhood and school, maybe our church and our community. Ultimately, we pray, your kingdom come. And in uh, South Texas, where Claudia is going, your kingdom come around the world. What happens when we begin to pray this prayer? And not just mouth the words, but align our hearts with that prayer. I mean, I'm sure dad would rather be watching golf and Missy would rather be cranking the stereo and, and, and Buddy would rather not mow the lawn. I know, I know. But, but there's some cool things that start to happen when we begin to align our hearts with the kingdom of God and the will of God. And the first thing is unity starts to happen. Unity. Because now, let's say in that home with four people, instead of four different kingdoms trying to impose four different wills on one another and and clashes and civil wars breaking out, guess what? Four servants begin to serve one king, Jesus, and honor and serve one another. I I do this sometimes with with couples in premarital counseling. It may sound a little cheesy, but you're going to get it anyway. I I draw a triangle uh, on, on on a sheet of paper for them. So just... Mentally or physically, just draw, draw a triangle, okay? And at the base of the triangle, I put the name of the bride and the name of the groom. And at the top of the triangle, I put Jesus. And I say to them, test this out, test this out. I fully believe that as each of you individually draws closer to Jesus, guess what? You're going to draw closer to one another as a couple, As you draw closer to Jesus, you naturally draw closer to one another because it's not his will versus her will anymore. But we are both trying to serve King Jesus and serve one another. I think it's true. When we ask for the will of King Jesus to prevail over our individual personal agendas, a beautiful unity begins to happen. But not just unity. A second beautiful thing happens, and that's joy. Joy because we get to see God do stuff that we wouldn't get to see otherwise. Joy because when we serve one another, we get to see the joy on their face. Joy because when we serve Jesus, Jesus brings us joy regardless of how other people respond. A few Saturdays ago at our serve day, I got to hang out with some folks at a food pantry warehouse in Carrollton. And uh, there were uh, some, some moms and dads with really little kids. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen kids this young serving. And I just remember thinking, how cool. Like, this, these kids are going to grow up not remembering a time when they didn't serve. I mean, these kids are going to grow up, and they're going to think serving is just normal. 
Like serving, that's just what we do. And when we serve, Jesus brings us joy. Friends, when Jesus says, follow me, he's not trying to impose his drudgery on us. He's inviting us into adventure. Now, I'm not trying to say there's no pain in God's will. Of course there is. I mean, I think always about when the angel Gabriel says to Mary, hey, have I got a deal for you? How would you like to be the mother of, of the Son of God? I mean, you know, that was pretty uh, uh, nerve-wracking for her. Uh, we, we see and feel her agitation. There would be pain involved. In fact, there would be so much more pain involved than she realized when she first signed up. And yet ultimately, what did Mary say? She said, she said, let it be to me according to your will. In other words, let your word, your kingdom agenda, your plan happen in my life. Let me carry Jesus around inside of me. Now, there was only one Mary, okay? But I think that's a pretty good picture of what it means to pray this prayer. Lord, grow your grace in me. Lord, grow your joy in me. Lord, give birth to something beautiful in me and in my life. I mean, friends, if you really understood this, right, if we really got what the Lord was trying to teach us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we really got this, I mean, don't you think our attitude might shift from, okay, okay, Jesus, I'll cooperate. You know, don't you think it might shift to more of an, OMG, literally, like, like oh my God, I, I get to serve you, God. I, I, I get to be a part of your kingdom. I, I, I get to watch you do something powerful in me. Class of 2021, I, I hope you don't think I've forgotten you. I haven't, I haven't, because you've been on my heart as I've prepared the sermon. Now, I know this is gonna sound like something an old guy would say, uh, because I am an old guy, uh, but... Um, and you already know this, the world will tell you to follow your heart as if your heart knows the way. Uh, and sometimes our hearts lead us well and often our hearts lead us poorly. And your heart all on its own um, is going to have a hard time figuring out the good, the pleasing, the perfect plan of God for you. The world is going to tell you you can find joy now. And I legitimately worry about some of the places they'll tell you to find it. Jesus has a different message. And the, and the cool thing for me is I've gotten to watch so many of you follow Christ uh, for so many years. And it's given me such joy. Jesus wants you to know there is a king. And believe it or not, it is time. The king is on the move. And wherever you go next, if you stay here, if you move somewhere else, a college town, Jesus is going to be there when you get there. And he is going to be calling you to his agenda there. And sometimes it will be hard, but it will always be fulfilling a life of adventure. Let's pray that for one another, seniors in church. Let's pray that for one another. And let's pray that for the class of 2021. Let's pray for them that God's kingdom would come in their lives that God's will would be manifest in their lives and that they would experience heaven coming down to earth. Lord, uh, this is a special day. It's always a special day when we can open your word. It's always a special day when Jesus is teaching us how to pray. 
And Lord, this is an especially uh, important day for us because of these uh, high school seniors and their accomplishments and uh, what you've been doing in them and what you plan to do in them. And so, Lord, now as we prepare to, to pray for them specifically, Lord, give us joy and excitement. Fill us with faith and possibility of what your kingdom is all about and what your will can accomplish in our lives. Lord, convince us, all of us, that because you are here, King Jesus, it is time. The time has come. May we repent and believe your good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.